Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we get surrounded by new faces in Mad Max to the Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minute 27, which begins with Big Rebecca shouting at Papagallo, and it ends with Papagallo interrogating Max about the other scout teams. Right off the bat, I want to go off on a tangent. Okay. Because a lot of the people that we meet who actually get names, some of them don't, like Warrior oh, yeah. Woman and Victim and, and whatnot, but a lot of them have like nicknames. Like Big Rebecca. Yeah. And Papagallo could be... Eh, That sounds like the last name of some Italian dude. Uh, Yeah, so that's a little unclear. But we're in post-apocalyptic wherever, and names really don't mean anything anymore. You don't have a driver's license. Your birth certificate doesn't mean anything. We don't work, so we don't need to be identified as somebody specific anymore. You get to choose a nickname. Yeah, it's like college. You get to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Are you thinking, like, what your your will... Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking be. about my post-apocalyptic nickname. I'd probably just stick with Rick. I'm boring that way. What is, what is that face for? Is that your thinking face? It's my thinking face. Okay. Well, as soon as you said that, my my brain immediately went to Rick and Morty and like the craziness that is Rick. <laughs> And I I do feel like you would devolve into that a little bit. Yeah. Given the freedom of less society. <clears throat> not that you're not that you're bound by society. I'm not a mad scientist for sure, but I don't know. He's not your typical mad scientist either. Yeah. Just thinking about what yeah. my nickname would be. <laughs> I'd probably go with Jules. Yeah. Yeah. You call me Jewel sometimes. Your dad calls me Jewel sometimes. But it's not, like, my nickname. And it's a nice nickname. I'd probably transition to that. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, it's a little it's a little literary, considering you can spell it one way, kind of like Jules Verne, or you could spell it the way I intend it, where it's just the plural of the word Jewel. But yeah, I'd, I'd definitely stick with Rick. Single syllable, stick with what's easy. Of course, Big Rebecca is more complicated than just calling her Rebecca. I'd probably be called Big Rick. Big Rick? Because I'm, you know... You're tall. Pretty good sized. Big Rebecca, by the way, we're going to front load character introductions today. Big Rebecca is played by Moira Clow. According to IMDb, she is best known for this movie, as well as the 1982 movie Squizzy Taylor. Oh. In that movie, she played Snowy's mother. Squizzy Taylor is the story of a wormy and diminutive, yet cunning and determined small-time hoodlum. The story follows our titular lead as he rises to prominence and popularity in Melbourne, Australia in the 1920s. The character of Snowy was played by Steve Bisley. Oh. And the character of Snowy's mother was played by Moira Clow. Wasn't surprised when you said it was set in the 1920s because those definitely are like 1920s words. <laughs> Squizzy and Snowy? Did yeah, I get those right? Two nicknames of... Yeah. I... I... I really don't believe that the first name of Squizzy would be a given Christian name. You know, that sounds like no. a 1920s gangster name. That sounds like a nickname given to someone when they were high, yeah. which is very 20s. <laughs> Her next known feature 
is called The Man in the Blue and White Holden from 1990, where she is simply credited as an actress. The Man in the Blue and White Holden, it was a short film directed by Peter Lubby and produced by Jane Karstlake. According to the website I looked up the information on, which the name escapes me, I really should have written it down. It was shown and received recognition from the St. Kilda Film Festival in 1991, the Melbourne International Film Festival also in 91, the Australian Teachers of Media Incorporated in 91, and the Australian Film Institute also in 91. So apparently this little short film was well received at those festivals. The final thing that Moyer Clough is known for is a stint of episodes on the show Prisoner Cell Block H. Oh. Yeah. Something we've seen so far? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. In Prisoner Cell Block H, she has a one-episode appearance as a shopwoman. I think that's in the one, the high hundreds, maybe low 200s. I don't know. I didn't okay, yeah, write we're down only in, what, like the 130s? But her main big chunk was when she appeared as the character of Flora Jenkins in episodes 608 through 611. Flora is the mother of another character named Alice Jenkins, who's a Wentworth inmate. She's kind of one of those heavy characters, one of those muscly beat people up types. And Flora, along with her son Sean, give Lou Kelly, who's another inmate, refuge at their farmhouse while she's on the run. I won't spoil it. But things do not end well for the Jenkins family because Lou Kelly is a tough customer. Oh. Yeah. That's why she's only on until episode 611. Yeah. <laughs> so Big Rebecca in this scene is continuing to shout from yesterday. We left off with her yelling, you and your handiwork. And she continues today yelling, he didn't stand a chance. So she is yelling at Papagallo specifically mm -hmm. that, you know, this was a bad idea to send these scouts out. And now Nathan is mortally wounded. Yeah. And there's another person in this first shot. His name is the curmudgeon or just curmudgeon. And he starts up shouting, oh, I warned him. You all heard me. Madness, I said. We can escape. Take our gas, he said. How, I said. He's just... <laughs> <laughs> serving up this big old cup of I told you so. Yes. Yes, he is. That is like the hardest cup not to serve up when you are entitled to it. Mm -hmm. To not say I told you so. I, <laughs> this was a huge mistake and I probably almost very closely lost my job because of it. Oh, yeah. I told a customer I told you so. Oh. <laughs> and I got in so much trouble. Did you get a stern talking to? <laughs> Yes, I did. Yeah, but did you tell the customer so? Like, it, were you in the right? Yes, yes, I was. Okay, so they I were absolutely just... was. Well, I wasn't justified in saying it, but yeah. I was justified in thinking it. Yeah, because I was right. So this curmudgeonly old man, appropriately called curmudgeon mm -hmm. in the cast list, is played by Sid Halen. Sid was born May twenty fifth, nineteen twenty two, in Renmark, South Australia, and he died December fourth, nineteen ninety six, at the age of 74 in Gold Coast, Queensland. Between 1974 and 1997, he acted in 20 different projects. In his known for list on IMDb, first and foremost, he is known for his stint on the show A Country Practice, which Wait. he was on from 1982 to 1992. Mad Max is not his number one? Mad Max is his number two. Excellent. Everybody we look at, their number
number one is Mad Max. So I like it when it's, they're known for something else. Yeah. So Halen was in 723 episodes of A Country Practice. It was a show about, you know, doctor's office slash tiny hospital in the middle of nowhere and the hijinks that they would get into. From what I could gather from the online character description I found, the character that he played, Vernon Cookie Lock, Cookie being his, his nickname. nickname, he filled the role of the old scamp character, you know, always whipping up get-rich-quick schemes and oh. getting himself into mischief. Okay. He's pretty much, you know, the Lizzie Birdsworth of a country practice. There always seems to be one, just aside from a country practice, the next one on the list, like I said, is Road Warrior, where he played curmudgeon. The third one on the list, and also the fourth one, are much more obscure. The third one in the row is a 1980 movie called Stir. He played a character named Old Bob. Stir is a prison riot film. There was a prison riot that happened in real life, and this is the film adaptation of it based on the written account of an inmate that was there at the riot. They changed a bunch of the names so it wasn't like, you know, specific. Right. This was very obviously this and whatnot. But people that read the account that was published could draw the parallels. Mm -hmm. I didn't look too much into it because it was kind of hard to find information with a generic name like Stir. So the last thing on the list is a 1977 short feature called Listen to the Lion. He played Hunter's Friend. So Listen to the Lion is a 52-minute feature directed by Henry Safran and written by Bob. Bob Hill. And that's really most of what I could find out about it. And that's two more faces to get introduced to this minute. Something that I was kind of in my notes for yesterday that we didn't discuss that I want to bring up now is the relationship of Big Rebecca to Nathan. Obviously, she is a loved one of some kind. Based on their apparent ages, my best guess is that she is his mother. Yeah. Moira Clow doesn't have her birth date listed on IMDb, and I didn't look hard enough to find it, but I know that Nathan, his actor, was born in 1948. The curmudgeon was born in 1922. And so curmudgeon if he is the same age as big rebecca they could definitely be a large enough age disparity to be mother and son okay which given her reaction to this guy specifically makes sense i can definitely get on board with that idea so along those same lines i wonder if the curmudgeon is nathan's father could also be that he's just like a, a village elder type I think the curmudgeon is actually Archie Whitley's father. Oh, okay. We're going to meet her later okay. on. I'm going to wait until she actually has a spoken line. We do see her in this minute because we see her helping out with Nathan. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to wait until she has a line because okay. we're meeting a lot of new faces this we week. Are. So then it seems like the curmudgeon is an apt name because it looks like he only went out there so that he could yell up at Papagallo saying, I told you so. He also, like, later on in the movie, like... Like dresses up like an army general type dude. So I think he also went out there with the guards. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We see him later on this week. He always has like a knife and it's pointed at Max and whatnot. So he definitely still fancies himself able-bodied enough to help dis defend the compound. Okay. Speaking of defending the compound, one of the <laughs> more outstanding members of the compound is the warrior woman who we are just going to call Virginia because her actress's name is Virginia Hay. We're going to meet her tomorrow because I didn't want to load up too many in one day she's played by virginia hay and virginia hay is awesome because she's like the coolest member of this compound but she is sticking to max like white on rice with that compound bow of hers and it's like right there against max's back if he tries anything she's gonna kebab him oh yeah absolutely 
Absolutely. She makes it look easy mm-hmm. to hold a compound bow at the ready. Yeah. Because she holds it for quite some time. Part of that is definitely the fact that it's a compound bow and not a traditional bow. Because the whole thing about composite bows is that it's a more rigid construction. So the actual pieces that flex are shorter. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better for environments where the humidity and heat and cold constantly fluctuate because those wooden ones, they can warp and whatnot. Yes. Composite ones, because of all the pulleys and the metal pieces and whatnot, it's much better at maintaining a consistent power. The way the pulleys at either end of the compound bow work, there's kind of a sweet spot. So you get a lot of resistance as you're initially pulling back, but once you reach a certain point, pulleys, they're called eccentric rather than round. And so once they reach a certain point, you get this little sweet spot where suddenly it's really easy to hold that string back. Oh, okay. So that once you let go of the string, the pulleys engage and the arrow accelerates but it doesn't put a lot of strain on your arm like a longbow would. The longbows that you hear about in history, think like specifically of England, people in England, when they were big on archery, were like apparently required to practice with the longbow every day because you get these giant sticks of wood and their draw strength would be like 80, 100 pounds. And that's what you're pulling on right there. And so everyone in England would have to practice that. And that's why English archers were so good because they had the arm strength built up to hold back that massive weight. Yeah. Well, compound bows fix that. You still need the arm strength to pull it back. But once it's at full draw, then you can take the time to aim and set up your shot before you let go. And it doesn't put a ton of strain on your arm like the regular longbow does. Okay. Thank you, Wikipedia. (laughs) Teaching me about compound bows. But yeah, she is there to like march him inside. Max is finally getting inside the compound. And the feral child is also there to march him inside. Right. We get this nice shot as they're walking through the gate, kind of looking up at Papagallo. And he's standing there and he's fixing his glove and he's shouting at the mechanic to get the car inside. And you just get the sense between the curmudgeon and Big Rebecca shouting and Papagallo, you know, standing up on that wall. You really get a sense of how high the tension is in that compound because they've just survived almost a week of attacks if the gyro captain is to be believed. Papagallo wants to move and some people think it's foolhardy and there's tons of dissenting opinions and I feel like everything is just set to boil. People are starting to get desperate. So it's not a situation that I'm that I'm jealous of when it comes to Papagallo's position in the camp. I feel like it would be very easy for someone to try and overthrow him. So Nathan is brought to a table and he's placed on it and people start working on him. Max continues to make his way inside. From the opposite direction, we get to see our first good look at the mechanic and he's sitting in his kind of crane looking doohickey and he rolls by to go grab Max's car. And Max is trying to keep an eye on things around him. He's trying to get a layout of the camp. Yes. So we get a nice shot of the pump going up and down. But before he can really get a good look around, he's like swarmed by even more people with like bows and arrows and knives and things like that. And there are so many people in this compound. And when you think about how many people we're seeing versus how many people we actually learn the name of, it's a huge number. Like there are a lot of people in this compound that are not credited in the credits. They're just extras. I think I'm actually more impressed with how many people do get 
names and lines mm. and actual parts. Yeah, like, I think we actually meet a lot of the group. Yeah, I think if your character is given lines and you speak and people hear you speak and can identify that it's you talking, then your character gets a name and a credit. If all you did was fill space in the the shot, then no dice. Yep. <laughs> we see Max surrounded by people and then we get another shot back to Nathan. Compound dwellers are starting to clean his wounds and Archie Whitley is there and she's the one with the air pump. We're going to meet her a little bit later on and she's got one of those like air pump things. Yeah, with puts a mask. It over Nathan's mouth and really that's probably the smartest thing that they're doing because if his lungs are damaged he needs oxygen and so if they're forcing oxygen into his face like that's gonna help like yeah. it's not gonna fix it but no, it's gonna help but this is emergency room type setup so you have your priorities right make sure he gets oxygen because if you don't do that nothing else matters yeah i have an issue with this scene <laughs> you don't say that near as much as i give you credit for well i think it a lot <laughs> i just try and say it in different ways because i don't want to be a broken record big rebecca she needs to get away from nathan it's a classic not trope, but it's a classic moment in movies and TV shows when one character is being wheeled into the emergency room and they're being followed by their loved one. And at some point, they like go through a set of doors and a nurse or something stops the loved one and said, you can't come in. Right. Because this they're going to be in the way. Right. This is where you stop. You cannot come any further. Yeah. And there is such a good reason for that because they're in the way. Yeah. And even in this situation, Big Rebecca, she's not in the way. Not she's as standing, much as she could be. Yeah. She's standing right above his head. She actually, from where she is, she should be helping. So she's not in the way. She's not necessarily distracting, but her emotional state, just her presence is distracting. Yeah. Because she's sobbing and crying and Arky Whitley is just there trying to give him oxygen. You want to talk about distracting Arky's outfit. Like she almost uh, has a bit of a slip there. Yeah. It opens up and she kind of has to readjust herself. Again, there's a reason why doctors and nurses wear scrubs. Right. <laughs> you don't want to have to be like readjusting your clothing in the middle of surgery. Right. Yeah, we're going to... Yeah, Big Rebecca needs to go away. We're going to keep a close eye on them as they, they do their thing. But in the meantime, we switch back to Max surrounded by people and Zeta tries to tell everybody to move out of the way. It might be Papagallo saying it. I'm not really sure. It's not very clear. But Papagallo pushes his way through the crowd and he gets right up in front of Max and he just asks that dumb question that I can't stand hearing. <laughs> he looks Max dead in the face and says, who are you? I will allow it this time around because they have the very real concern that Max could be a spy from Lord Humongous's horde. Yes. I think it's not so much what is your name because... As we mentioned at the top of this minute about nicknames, names really don't mean anything anymore. Right. I think what he's asking about is his affiliation. Right. Is Max an envoy? Is he a messenger of peace or is Lord Humongous trying to make a deal? Is Max at all related to what they have been going through? Yes. And of course, Max doesn't answer. This is not relevant no. to what he no, wants Max, to know or tell Yeah, them. Max is very careful when he does and does not speak. In defense of Papagallo, even though we haven't really been critical of his line of questioning, but in defense of him, Max looks like a marauder. Yeah, he's wearing the leather. He's wearing leather and like black. Like the bad cops are doing. And we haven't mentioned this. It hasn't really been apparent until these these few minutes that the compound dwellers are all wearing white. Yes. 
They are very clearly dressed similarly. And the marauders are all wearing black. It's very coded. Mm-hmm. Very easy to see at a distance Yes, who was like, on what okay, side. These are the good guys and these are the bad guys. So now we have Max, who, as we've discussed before, is kind of riding that fine line between a good guy and a bad guy. Yeah. But we've seen him be a good guy in the last few minutes, but he's wearing black. Yeah. So you definitely get the, the sense that it's very easy not to trust him. Yes. So not getting any answer of who are you, Papagallo kind of switches up his tactic and he asks, how did you get through out there? Because as we saw earlier, as soon as those scouts went out into the wasteland, raiders were on them like that. How did you get through out there? Very legitimate question, because if Max was able to get through, maybe some of the scouts were able to get to. Papagallo's main concern is the welfare of the scouts. Okay, he brings up a good point, because Max was able to get through. First of all, how? Not all of the marauders went after the scouts. Right. There are still marauders watching the compound. So how did Max get through? And if Max got through successfully, because maybe every all the marauders went after the scouts and really did leave the compound unwatched... Mm-hmm. Well, then get everybody on that freaking bus and get out of there right now. Yeah. So that's a very legitimate question. It kind of makes me wish that the deleted chunk that I mentioned the other day Mm -hmm. of the Marauders, like, using the mirrors to, like, signal to each other. I wish they had kept that in because then it would have shown that maybe Max didn't really make it through as unscathed as Papagallo thinks he did. Yeah. Maybe he was just clever enough. Yeah. So Papagallo is getting a little impatient with Max. And the next thing he says is, look, I want some answers. And he says, where did did you find them? So this Max actually decides to answer. He says, two or three miles down the road, left for dead. And then to get things back on track with what Max wants, he says, look, we made a deal. Papagallo is not hearing it. He fires back with, there were three other vehicles. Did you see them? Max, not wanting to continue this line of conversation, but understanding its importance. He says, yeah, they're heading hard to the southwest. And he has more of this say, but it gets cut off, and yeah, we're going to hear it we're not done with more this tomorrow. conversation. With- yeah, because Max is going to try and, like, get back on subject with what he wants to talk about, but Papagallo and another person, the quiet man, is going to enter this scene. They're more concerned with the scouts, because of course, these scouts are their hope and salvation to get out of there. Considering that we as viewers and Max and the gyro captain as our POV so clearly saw what happened. So it kind of kind of strikes me as odd that the people in the compound had no idea. Yeah. Now, Max and and the gyro captain had a much higher point of view. Yeah, looking over up on that pinnacle. The compound has like a tower type thing. Yeah, whoever was up in that tower could have seen more, but you get yeah. the sense that the compound is kind of at the bottom of a Pretty little basin. Low. Yeah, that they're not getting as far of a view from the top of the wall as yeah. you know the person up on top of the tower. So we're gonna put a pin in what Max is saying to Papagallo at this point. We're gonna pick up right where we left off tomorrow because that is exactly how this podcast work and every time i say we're going to pick up where we left off it's dundon but i'm going to keep saying it because i'm a creature of habit so come back tomorrow for more of that the mad max minute podcast is a fan project by rick and julia ingham the mad max franchise was created by george miller and byron kennedy 
and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 27 of The Road Warrior. Thank you.